0: Welcome to Episode 8 of the Triathlete Hour. I'm Kelly O'Mara, your host and the editor-in-chief of Triathlete Magazine. I think last week I might have bespoke and said it was Episode 8 or 6 or something, but this week we really are on the 8th episode of the Triathlete Hour. And we're talking today with Jesse Thomas about his retirement from triathlon. After unexpectedly winning Wildflower back in 2011, Jesse was a fixture on the pro triathlon scene, winning Wildflower six times, countless other 70.3 titles, and Iron Man Wales, and garnering what he called crazy-ass fans along the way. Today, Jesse officially announces his retirement, and we talk about how that happened, what it means, and, and where he goes from here. If you're used to hilarious and funny Jesse Thomas... Well, he's still that, but let me tell you, this episode is a lot more introspective than you might expect. First though, we have a quick chat with another retired pro, our managing editor, Emma Kate Lidbury, who tells us about the Gossip in Boulder and gives everyone a sneak peek of the new training podcast coming from Triathlete Magazine. Be sure to subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss anything coming up. Now, here's the show. All right, I'm here with Emma-Kate Lidbury this week, our managing editor at Triathlete Magazine and a former, I guess former now since she retired, super good pro triathlete. And Emma-Kate, so you're in Boulder. You're our person in Boulder. And obviously, I know, obviously we're based in Boulder. I'm supposed to be in Boulder, except for the pandemic. But tell us, like, what's the, I mean, Boulder's like the triathlon hotspot. Why is, why is Boulder so big? What's the deal with Boulder?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there's, there's, a ton of, there's a ton of triathletes here. Everywhere you go, there's, there's somebody wearing Ironman gear or uh, somebody out riding or running uh, and only as of yesterday swimming, so that's good. Um, mm. But, uh, yeah, I think Boulder has a lot to offer triathletes. It's I mean, apart from the geographical factor of it's you know, 5,500 feet above sea level, so you've got that, um, which is obviously one of the big pools of why people come here to, to train and live. Um, but you've also just got such a huge community of athletes of all levels, all abilities, um, and some terrific places to swim and ride and run. Uh, so I think it's a combination of those factors that, um, that bring people here. And then it's just it's outstanding natural beauty that keeps people here, too. And, and there's, a, there's a really fun community. I mean, granted, it's not for everybody, but um, it's a fun place to be. I've been here uh, four years and I'm not going anywhere fast.
0: I think you, uh, you kind of went there thinking you were just going for like a training camp and stayed, right? Pretty much.
1: Yeah. I came here for what was meant to be like a three or four week training camp in 2016 and I never left. So, but, <laughs> and I used to think that was a super unique story and you talk to anybody in Boulder and they kind of all say the same. So yeah, it's, um, it's one of those sorts of places that keeps you here. If you know, once you kind of fall in love with it, it keeps, it keeps you here.
0: Yeah. And obviously we're based there cause you know, it's where, it's where everything is. Um, but the other funny thing is because of all the triathletes, there's always gossip. You're always telling me like what the gossip is at the pool and the gossip in Boulder. And so last week when I, I mean, I said this on the podcast, Ironman is floating the idea of moving Kona from October to February and having two Konas next year and you were like oh yeah that's all the gossip in Boulder everyone's yep. talking about it yeah yeah yep. so what are people saying
1: well that is yeah that's been kind of talked about for a few weeks now and to start with people were like really where, where did that come from and nobody I mean that's kind of part of the fun like where does this gossip come from it's kind of locker room gossip sometimes <laughs> um But, yeah, that's been on the cards for a little while. And I think there's a lot of people who – some people who are excited about it and some people who are kind of terrified about it, you know, because the thought of training through the winter in Boulder for a race like that is, you know, when the the snow and the temperatures that we get, um, yeah, you're going to have to fall in love pretty hard with the indoor trainer. But, uh, yeah, it's – but, yeah, there's always a lot of gossip. I think triathletes love gossip. I think the fact that there are so many big squads here and there's, you know, teams of people that train together – romances, breakups, you know all the stuff that you never really read about. Uh, I think you know, we could pretty much launch a website based off of some of the gossip that you get out of Boulder, but <laughs> yeah, some of it will print, some of it we won't.
0: I think Triathlon TMZ would have like six subscribers. I would be one of them, but I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think there's an audience. <laughs>
1: no, not entirely, but yeah, and I'm sure legally we'd be a bit stuck too, but um, hey, yeah, it's fun. Um,
0: but you were part of the, I mean, part of the reason you moved there was you were on a squad, you were training, you were winning a lot of 70.3s and you retired a year ago to become a full fledged journalist. Yes. And this week's episode is all about retirement because Jesse Thomas talks about retirement. And so I wanted to get your take on, you know, pro triathlete retirement. Yeah. It's a, I mean, some people I know retire and they still train 20, 25 hours a week, which is crazy to me.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't do that. <laughs> um, yeah, I retired. And actually, it's interesting because Jesse and I, when I first moved to the US, Jesse and I were part of Purple Patch together. So it's interesting uh, seeing, you know, seeing him retire. And I've been following, following that journey of his um, closely too. But um, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I mean, for a lot of triathletes, I think more people than not, a lot of pros really struggle with it. Um, okay it's a, it's a big transition. If, if you've been training and racing full time, you live it, you breathe it. You don't ha- you're not, some of the best athletes do have balance. Not all of them do. You know, if you want to be the best, you, 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 there is, you have to be extraordinary and there is not a ton of balance in that life. Uh, and so then kind of transitioning out of that and trying to find balance in quote unquote normal in the normal world <laughs> can be tricky. Um, and your body, you know, and your body and mind are used to working out a lot. And uh, so like, there's, you know, a physiological th- thing there. There's, an, I think there's a mental and emotional component to it. Um, but yeah, a lot of people's identity are wrapped up in being, you know, wrapped up in being an athlete too. So that's, that's something that a lot of people struggle with.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's true, not just for pros, but I mean, a ton of a ton of our audience, right? Like you are a triathlete. And, yes. and sometimes it's hard to identify as like being more than like, if you don't have triathlons right now, because there are no races. who yeah. are you? What do you do? Yeah,
1: right. And that's something that a lot of people get stuck on, I think, and it's figuring out that it's figuring that part out. And, uh, you know, as we've written so many stories on over the last couple of months, it's about, the, it's all about the process and not being goal oriented and all that stuff that you read about all the time. Um, and there is actually a ton of truth in it, but, um, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's not unique to triathletes. You hear you know, about like Olympians after the Olympics, they have huge crashes kind yes. of emotionally, mentally, because yes. what, what's going to top winning an Olympic gold? Like, for, right. Like that you peaked like that. Yep. So, that's yeah.
1: Rough. So it's about, you know, so for me, I, I consider myself to be one of the very lucky ones in terms of, you know, I transitioned from racing to, to writing a book for Velopress Press uh, to this job. So, you know, it means I'm still involved in the triathlon world and it's a world that I always want to be involved in, but without the same kind of demands, you know, training and racing demands that you, you've become used to. So, um, it's, it's super interesting. I, I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones and there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of my peers from, you know, a lot of the friends I made from racing who have not transitioned so well, um, and are still looking for what they're going to do next. So, Jesse Thomas was never going to be one of those guys, you know, I, no, no. um, yeah, I can't wait to hear what he has to say. So, um, yeah, very, a very cool. Yeah, dude. No. He
0: obviously has like an MBA and, and a business and all that. But yeah, I think a lot of, uh, what were you joking? A lot of the athletes become realtors in Boulder. Yes. That's the, that's the thing to do. Yes. <laughs>
1: so. Well, I think also they're so driven and so competitive. So there are definitely, um, there, there are some key career paths that suit that mindset and that outlook and that, and that drive. Um, so yeah, I was just joking with the, yeah, with you guys last week about there seem to be a lot of real ex-pro triathlete realtors in Boulder, but, um, yeah.
0: They also all know everybody, right? So they can sell houses. It makes sense. It works out. Yeah. (laughs) That's,
1: that's what happens.
0: But the other reason we wanted to have you come on is because we, I wanted you to talk about your upcoming podcast. So we started with this podcast, the triathlete hour, and then we're going to be launching some more spoiler alert. And the first one we're launching is going to be a training podcast that you're going to be heading up for us called fitter and faster. And it's going to be all the training topics um, like every other week and it should be coming next week. So if you guys subscribe to our feed, you know, this triathlete magazine feed on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you will get notified of the new fitter and faster podcast, but tell us a little bit about this. So you're going to, so it's going to be helping people get fitter, fitter and faster.
1: faster. (laughs) Yeah. Here we go. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, one of the, the one of the key things that we know about our audience at triathlete, and one of the things that we know about triathletes in general, is that they love train. That they they love train. They love training, and they love learning about training how to get how to get fitter and faster. <laughs> um, and so that was one of the th- the key, key things that we thought would make a great to- uh, topic for a great podcast topic, and uh, and really kind of start off with a topic and an expert but maybe kind of dive, dive deeper into some of these, uh, some of these things that, you know, we, we read about, uh, we, we're writing about. Um, so yeah, we're, we're excited to get uh, some good guests on and, um.
0: So yeah, so like each podcast, you're going to take a topic, like whether it's, you know, swim mechanics or bike cadence or heart rate, and then you're going to start like kind of broadly and dive really deep into that topic. And so your first guest, I think you've nailed this down, is going to be Dr. Stacy Sims Correct. talking about nutrition. Yeah. So that'll be
1: great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Stacy's uh, obviously somebody that, uh, has made a great name for herself in endurance sports and over the last few years has really uh, found that niche I think you know her women are not small small men Um, topic is something that is just gaining has gained so much traction and there's um, it's so popular and I think so that's something we'll be talking about in the in this first podcast and I think people are very very interested to hear what she has to say about nutrition and fueling and and just yeah, the I mean, and she is a physiologist, uh, not just a nutritionist. So she has yeah, so a pretty distinguished background,
0: for sure. And so yeah, so and then you're gonna have new podcasts every couple of weeks or every other week um, yeah. on different topics. So people should definitely like send in their questions, things they want you to cover. You know, what are what are things that that training things that mystify them that, yeah. that they want more. Because I
1: think there's there's so many things out there. You know, we 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 see in just the response we get to things like open water swimming articles or swim stroke mechanics or bike pedaling, bike cadence, um, heart rate variability. I mean, the list sleep, the list goes on and on and on. So, yeah, but we're definitely interested to hear from our audience, what they're, what they're keen to learn more about.
0: Cool. So yeah, guys, make sure you subscribe to Traffic magazine on all the platforms, wherever you get your podcast, and you'll d- get notified, you'll get fed. What's the word? delivered the new podcast delivered yes yeah delivered dropped the new podcast when fitter and faster comes out next week um well thank you so much for chatting with us ek and i'm looking forward sorry emma kate ek EK is
1: fine that's my that's my preference
0: (laughs) and i'm looking forward to the new podcast next week
1: yes thank you so much
0: you know, you don't want to miss anything coming up on the Triathlete Hour. So subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcast. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. Now, the rest of the show. All right, I'm here with Jesse Thomas. Thanks for joining us from, from Bend, Oregon. We talked to Lindsay Corbin last week and she said Bend is, is the hot spot now, the place to be.
2: I, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably true. (laughs) Has, has been for a while. It's a good spot. You know, we're, we're lucky. Um, yeah, it's, it's an, it's an amazing place to be an athlete.
0: You also, you do your own podcast, right? With your wife, Lauren Fleshman. So I feel like you're going to be a pro here on a, on the podcasting. No, not, not,
2: not, (laughs) not whatsoever. Um, Lauren and I pretty much just like, you know, try to, answer people's questions like solve their problems without any without absolutely any like real qualifications to do so. So it's just oh, Okay. it's just kind of uh it's just kind of us winging it. Actually, you can see in my there it is. That's our podcasting equipment <laughs> oh, <yeah>. right there. <laughs>
0: nice, nice. Yeah. That's not what you're using right now. You're using like microphones i made you go find out of a box
2: (laughs) yeah 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 yes the backstory yeah it took us it took at least 10 minutes for me to get ready for this zoom call but hey (laughs) and i also want to tell people
0: yeah i feel like i always have to apologize too for like the technology and and you know i think my husband's like riding his bike on the trainer in the background it's it's quarantine life right so yeah
2: at some point my six-year-old will come strutting through the back and ask me for a snack or something like that so sorry ahead (laughs) of time if that happens too Zadie so how hopefully is, uh... will be in bed.
0: In bed? Oh, yeah. is it? It's, it's okay. like nap
2: time. Yeah, it's nap time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the little one.
0: I guess that kind of answers what was going to be my next question. Yeah. How is quarantine life? I mean, you have two kids, you have a business, so it's a little different. Like a lot of the pros are like, "Well, I'm just training as much as I always train," but you have a lot going on.
2: Yeah, there's. I mean, there were you know before we were quarantined, there was all there was still a lot going on. But yeah, I think that um, the having the kids at home and basically not having childcare, whether it be school or like our babysitter Lauren and I have a babysitter almost full time, you know, like okay. 30 to 35 hours a week. And then Jude's at school about that same amount of time. And so not having that has been a massive disruption to our lives. You know, it's definitely, it's definitely like first world problems, but it's, but it's been a massive change for sure.
0: Right, and um, and how is how is Picky Bars doing? It's kind of what I wanted. Picky Bars is your company that you and, and Lauren run with, Stephanie.
2: Yeah, as Steph- well Stephanie. Yep. Bruce. yeah. Yep. Yep. Steph was our other co-founder. Yeah, um, yeah. Picky Bars, we're really lucky. Picky Bars is doing well. You know, not I. I we're not like crushing it, but overall, we feel super fortunate in that, um, people still want to eat food and <laughs> people they, still
0: want to eat that's good yeah. and
2: they're actually people are surprisingly more active even than they were pre-covid times like uh, when you look at most of the data and um i think cuz they just have more flexibility in their schedule and then um and then people are buying more online you know just across the board mm-hmm. and so as a result of that we're kind of a we're mostly direct to consumer business and so our direct to consumer channels are Doing really well. The rest of the, the rest of the stuff like gro- grocery has been okay. But then like the specialty sports stores and stuff like that has has completely died. You know, which is understandable. Right. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. I was wondering. Um, I haven't really talked to anyone, you know, on the podcast yet who runs a business. So yeah. yeah, I was wondering kind of how you guys were doing. That's interesting.
2: Yeah, we're really we're really really lucky, right? I mean, you can't. No business owner can plan for a global pandemic. <laughs> you know and so it just like stuff like that just happens and there are some businesses that are well suited for it and there there are lots that aren't and we're really lucky to be a business that's well suited for it we have had to make a bunch of adjustments you know like i said we had a big chunk of our revenue is gone from the specialty sports stuff, but um and then we've had to make a bunch of adjustments in internally like um uh, creating more space in our warehouse for our fulfillment staff to basically be able to go in there and fulfill orders without being around each other, you know, and stuff like that. And then all and then all all kinds of our... like
0: weird, yeah, specific regulation yeah, stuff. Right? Totally.
2: Yeah, totally. But we, another part of just being incredibly lucky was that we moved into a new warehouse and office, literally like the week before the stay at home order came in. And so prior to that, we were in a lot smaller space. It would have been really hard to safely social distance with the amount of um with like our fulfillment staff that needs to be in there to ship orders out. So we're just it was just one of those super lucky things that we got into this way bigger warehouse the week before everything shut down. And now we can basically have people on like each corner of the warehouse doing stuff. Really <laughs> Everyone's like it. sitting
0: in their separate yeah, corners I mean, that's like it. it's okay.
2: We have Zoom meetings, you know, all the non, all the non-fulfillment, non like warehouse staff are all working from home, myself included, right? That's why I'm here as opposed to being at the office. But then, um, yeah, it's crazy. Like we'll have, you know, we'll have company-wide like all staff meetings and they're all on Zoom and there's like four or five people calling from the warehouse, but they're each like on different, like in different corners of the warehouse on their own computers, you know, it's just, um. It's a crazy time.
0: It is. It's it's weird. So it sounds like, I mean, from what I'm hearing from you, it sounds like you kind of almost are more picky bars employee business owner than a triathlete these days. Are you even a triathlete anymore? Like, <laughs> um, I'm not sure. Depends
2: on what your definition of it is. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I haven't um, formally announced retiring yet. I mean, maybe I'll just, you know, kind of give you the scoop right here, but <laughs> It's, I mean, there's not, it's It's like so silly. Actually, let me tell, let me just tell a quick story about it.
0: Um, okay. Okay. So
2: the, the, the quick story of me, like athletically on the triathlon side, I did, um, I went to my last triathlon was almost two years ago. Just crazy was to think Was it
0: Wildflower? About.
2: No, it was, I remember
0: um, Wildflower two years ago, you giving this like speech that sounded like a retirement totally. speech. And yeah. I
2: didn't know that I was going to, you know, retire at all at that time, but, um, I went to I did that and then I did um, challenge Roth right. That was my oh. last big one. It was a couple months later, and um, and what ended up happening, I knew. So my daughter had been born, which is my second kid, five days before Kona the the previous year, and um, I was already starting to feel pretty burnt, like physically and mentally with the with the business and family and and everything else, and um, and even though I was still physically at least as good as I'd ever been on an Ironman side was still kind of felt like, Hey, it's probably at least time for me to take like a little bit of a break after, you know, at some point. And so I'd made the decision that I didn't want to go back to Kona. So I was going to do Roth, which was kind of one of my other big, like races. Right. So I go to Roth knowing that I'm probably going to take a break after Roth anyway, some type of legitimate break. Um, have my, you know, have a great like kind of career day there, everything I wanted to have, like the training, getting to there was really tough. I had injuries off and on, but managed to like pull out an amazing day. Um, you
0: were like third and went like some crazy fast time, right? Like that's my recollection. Yeah.
2: 54. Like I broke eight hours. I, it was like, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, and I ran two forty five in the marathon. Like I, I clicked all these big check marks that I had like professionally, athletically, um, in that race. And then, um, kind of like superfluously had planned on taking a break. Like I do after every Ironman or Ironman distance race. And then, Literally at the same time, we started going through the craziest and most difficult like, period in Picky Bar's history with a huge mm. um, out-of-stock problem that was caused by us making a bunch of product that we ended up not being able to sell because the rice protein in it was um, tasted really bad. And so, okay. yeah, like, like I, don't, I don't need to go into all of it. It wasn't like, a, we didn't have to recall anything. There wasn't anything like that, but it was basically like,
0: it just wasn't good. It okay. wasn't
2: good. And at the time we were switching from one contract manufacturer to another contract manufacturer. So we couldn't just like quickly make more, you know, to like kind of okay. cover it. So what ended up happening was, oh, we made all this product at the old guy's place and then it didn't taste good. We were like, whoa, <laughs> this is bad. We can't sell this to people. But we're waiting for these guys to get up and going. And so we have to like throw, you know, basically donate this stuff to like food banks and stuff. But then also wait like two months until we have product. So we were just like out of stock.
0: And okay. And so it was just like chaos and it you was were dealing total with that. Chaos. Okay.
2: And so like the story that I tell is, is that i crossed the finish line at Roth at like I don't know, 3 PM or whatever Germany time, right? And and then literally at midnight that night, I was on the phone with our new contract manufacturer trying to get them to like speed up the process. <laughs> um, after doing this Iron Man, you know, like my right, best Iron like, Man, hey whatever. Guys, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah like, I'm literally on the phone with the US, you know, and um it was just bananas. So like, you know, going home from that. And having our company be in like pretty significant distress, and then as a result, like it costing the company money, and then it costing Lauren and I and Steph money because we don't have any financial backing behind the company. It was basically just like, I really need to focus on this regardless, and it's kind of a good okay. time for me to do that physically and, and mentally anyway. And so I did that. And, um, this is turning out to be a way longer story, which is, This is
0: like a very which, deep, yeah, involved yeah. story. <laughs>
2: but you know, which is, which is okay. I mean, it's, I did that And long story short, I just haven't gotten, I needed to focus on the business for a while. And then I started the next year thinking I was going to race triathlon, but I was going to do a marathon to start. And then, um, uh-huh. a flat marathon and then broke my foot in prep for that marathon and then have just basically been coming back from injury since then. So that's the really, really story years, yeah, of how two years kind of stacks up with no triathlon, you know? Yeah,
0: it happens. Um, yeah. yeah. I knew you had been injured and then I knew you were kind of coming back. You were doing like some different things. And then it's like, obviously no one's racing right now. So who yeah, knows what thing. anyone's doing? That, yeah. And,
2: and that's why I haven't been like, oh, I really should, you know, kind of formally say that I'm like retired because it's kind of like, I think most people would be like, w- didn't Jesse retire like two years ago?
0: <laughs> it's, <laughs> like, kind wait. Of,
2: it's kind of silly. I actually have a blog drafted um, that okay. I didn't post because... Um, I went to post it. My website was broken.
0: (laughs) All right. This is like the worst retirement story ever.
2: And then I'm just like, Oh, (laughs) I don't have time to fix my website. I'm just, whatever. I'll post it later. You know, maybe I'll just send it to you guys and you guys can post it or something. Yeah. If
0: you guys, and we'll announce your retirement. That'll be, that'll be it.
2: That's, that's what we should do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's been, it's been a wild ride. The last two years has been really crazy. Um, just a totally different ride for me personally than the like eight or nine years before that you know and did um, you
0: feel done though with triathlon like i rem- i was at wildflower two years ago yep. when rudy won Yep. like ron up and you did this whole like big speech kind of handing the torch off and it yep. felt very like you know it felt like you were done did you feel like this was you know yeah i it? felt i i think i had like a
2: I think I had, and, you know, I ended up being right. I think I had a sense that that was maybe my last wildflower at that level, you know? And um, just knowing, like, you know, there was a lot of behind the scenes there where my body, like, was was breaking down. Like, I was still racing at a super high level, but, like... (laughs) every week it was like, Oh God, like what's going on now? You know, like what's going to be bothering me here? Like, can't, how can I kind of work around this injury and that injury? And also, and also, um, really honestly, like better support my wife while we have a young kid than I did on our first with our first kid, you know, and spend more time at home and spend, an adequate amount of time in the business, you know, by then we had already, we had nine employees and we were doing a few million dollars in revenue. And it was like, there's like legitimate responsibilities, you know, to do so. (laughs) Legitimate
0: responsibilities. Yeah. So, you know, it
2: was just, it was, it was tough. So I think I felt that, um, you know, that, that race and, um, and that's why I didn't plan on saying anything like that. But I think that those comments just kind of surfaced in the moment, you know? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Anyway, I yeah, it was a uh, there was a lot of drinking going on because at Wildflower there's always a lot of drinking yeah. and I remember being like, Is is he retiring right? What's yeah. going on? So, yeah.
2: I like to give super well, vague comments, I guess, at the end right. of races. So
0: I mean Wildflower's been a big race for you though over the years. It was kind of yeah. where you got your start. I yeah. mean, um, why why is Wildflower such a a race where so many athletes get their start? Um it's it's such a big one in in a lot of people's history. Yeah,
2: I think that it's one of those ones that's so like kind of this combination of like for at least for the last like 10 or 15 years um as ironman has come to the forefront in the sport it's a it's a race that has simultaneously like a big deal and also kind of under the radar you know right and so it's this weird combination where it's like if you win it it's a pretty big deal but it's but it's also been <clears throat> It's not. It doesn't carry the same kind of media coverage that, like, you know, all the big half Ironmans now. Particularly when when Ironman put like St. George on the same weekend, right?
0: Yeah, and that, that yeah. made it
2: really tough. Where that that's drawing the majority of the of the long course guys. Um, but so I think that that's I think that's part of it. Um, I think it's also just a uniquely like difficult course where you can have young guys like I was, or I wasn't necessarily young when I started there, but inexperienced and still do pretty well because it's, there's literally like no group dynamic in that race, like whatsoever, because the, because the bike ride is so hard and the run is so hard, it just splits everybody up, you know? And yeah, that, and that, that gives sense. you more variability in who can be successful in that race. I think you know,
0: cause you did come out. I mean, that was your first big win you did. I mean, it's kind of like what semi-famous, but you, people didn't even know who you were when you crossed the line after you won, yeah. you came out of nowhere. You were like on a borrowed bike. It's, totally. it's one of those kind of races. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It was, what you know, made was you cr- think
0: though that you could do that? Yeah.
2: Um, I mean, I didn't, I'm, you know, in that, <laughs> that first year, I did not think that that was going to happen. I remember when I, you know, the story I tell is that when I came off the bike I was like in 11th place and I thought you oh, know maybe I can get the top 10 and then I you know passed into 10th and 9th and 8th and I was like well I'm top 8 and then I saw I remember seeing um you know like Joe Gambles or somebody like up ahead and then I was like wow that's fifth place and then I saw Jordan Rapp and he was in third place and I was like well I'm running I'm running into Jordan Rapp I can't believe I'm gonna beat Jordan Rapp and then um you know and it just kind of clicked on off and on and on until I got into first place with like three quarters of a mile to go. And I was just shocked the whole time. Um, it's, but yeah. I, think, I think it's one of those races. Like you could be a semi, like, you know, the, the guys that are new to triathlon typically, um, that nobody's heard about typically don't come from like swimming backgrounds or they don't come from triathlon backgrounds. So they don't, they aren't good swimmers. And that right. was me and wildflower is the best course possible for somebody that sucks at swimming because the, <laughs> the bike ride is like 10 to 15 minutes longer than a normal right. half Ironman. And the run is like 10 to 15 lo- minutes longer than a normal half Ironman run, you know, at least five to 10.
0: I mean, and so, yeah, you're like walking up parts of yeah, that. You yeah. You have
2: an extra 25 minutes of racing to catch people, you know, the swim yeah. is the same distance. And a lot of times the swim <laughs> is a wetsuit swim too. So you, so it's, so the swim is like, a, you can be a little bit closer than a non-wetsuit okay. swim. So, yeah. So, so it just
0: kind of worked out for you basically. Yeah, I think
2: all those yeah. reasons, like that was it. And I certainly had some luck, you know, but um, I, you know, and the the fields were never like crazy deep, but you know, there were a, all, there was always a good few guys there, you know, with, um, you know Joe and Jordan and Leon Griffin and Andrew Starkowitz and Torenzo and you know there were there were guys that I beat there that I'm proud of you know those races so yeah it was it was crazy time
0: for sure and that was kind of like I mean obviously that was your first big race at that point then were you like all right now I can make it as a pro triathlete I've won something
2: uh, I'm good th- to go I think I think I maybe naively thought that <laughs> you know and then in hindsight didn't. Uh really didn't know what make I, it in it, hindsight oh, no. didn't, or didn't really know what I was talking about yet, you know I think that okay. um, it still took me like at least another year to to um generate like the sponsorship income that it takes to actually be sustainable in the sport right i i tell I throw this stat out all the time, like I think at my peak racing i don't know if I ever made more than like. 20 or 30 grand maybe in prize money,
0: you know, in
2: in a single year. Right. And so if you're, so, you know, what I tell people is that as a pro, it's all about that (laughs) sponsorship income, you know, like that's how you make it. That's how you sustain yourself in, in the sport. Although things have changed. I mean, you know, they're, they're doing this pro triathlon, uh, organization thing, the Collins cup and stuff, then there's going to be maybe more prize money available to more athletes. But, um, I think prize I thought money... you were
0: about to say, yeah, that you only had ever made 20 to 30,000 total in a year. And I was gonna be like, Oh God, no, no, like, no. it's worse than I think. Yeah, No,
2: I was really lucky. You know, there, I was one of those there's, I, you know, I've, I've written about it, but I think that there, you know, there's the, the, the curve is really steep, right? Like Jan and Sebastian and, right. and all those guys. And, you know, they're making really good money. And then it get and then there's a the next group of guys that are making, that make good money. And I was lucky to be in, in one of those, like kind of second tier, upper tier type of thing. And, and, um, and that was good, but it falls off fast. I mean, I think if you're outside of the top 30 or 40 people in the world, you're probably supplementing your income, you know, with some, with some other way at least for sure on the women's side. Maybe men's side it drops out to like 50, but it's 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 pretty shallow.
0: Yeah, I mean the women and men are pretty comparable in triathlon. Like they make pretty similar money. They so. do on the
2: you know, and I don't have necessarily data to back this up. For sure all the prize money is equal, you know? Right. But I I would I don't know for sure that the sponsorship money is the same.
0: Huh. Okay. You know. Yeah. Interesting.
2: It might be now. It might it might not be. Historically it wasn't. But I think there's a lot more um uh, you know, kind of awareness about it with um with uh agents and companies and athletes than there used to be, you know? So I think that I think that there's uh I think female triathletes have done a good job too marketing themselves. They're really great marketing assets. I mean, but women are in any sport. So it's, I don't know why it's taken so long for it to catch up, but I hope that it has caught up by now. But I, but when I was there, at least like in the peak of it five or six years ago, it still felt like hmm. the men were probably making more. But,
0: That's good to know. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I tend to think of the women as, you know, Danielle is huge. Like the women are big stars, but. I think there,
2: I think there are. I mean, you look yeah. at like Daniela, Mirinda, like Lucy, yeah. right. Those guys are sure are making great money, but what you know, like I said, I don't have any data to back it up, yeah. but my, my gut would be that it falls off steeper than the men do. You know, okay. that that's, okay. that's my gut, but maybe I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong.
0: Hopefully. Yeah. You know, you're like, if people can't tell, equal. by the way, uh, hopefully it's equal. If people get tell, uh, Jesse got an MBA and then it's <laughs> like, we're getting into like deep business talk. Yeah, sorry. So-
2: <laughs> that's what I, I mean. That's, that's my life now. So
0: But like for background. Yeah. So you ran at Stanford and you went and got your MBA and you were going to like go off and make millions, have a startup. No, I wasn't. That was a business stuff.
2: That was the reason I started racing triathlon was because the economy (laughs) crashed. And I I say, if I'm not going to make any money, I may as well not make any money racing triathlon. (laughs) So um, that's why I started racing. And um, yeah, the whole idea was like, you know, I'll take six months and focus on it. I was consulting on the side and see um, see how it goes. And then, um, I think about four or five months later, I raced Escape from Alcatraz as an age grouper and finished seventh in the pro field. And that that was mm. when I kind of was like, oh man, maybe I could do this. You know, I would have won five hundred bucks at this race or something, <laughs> which you know, Alcatraz is so right, like would not even pay the entry fee. <laughs> <pee. laughs> so but anyway you know you start to see like little pieces of that thinking that maybe you've got a shot and um yeah and then it was just uh it was actually just a year it was one year after that that next may that i won wowflower so yeah
0: so was there ever a point then i guess that you were like all right i'm not going to do the business thing i'm not going to go and be a consultant and make money i'm going to do the triathlon thing i mean because yeah. That's like a pretty big trade off, right?
2: Is. Yeah. And it, it faded over time. I was lucky that at the point that when I started racing triathlon seriously, I had the education and connections to work, to consult and make. make like enough Um, of a living, right. To be able to do that. Like I had an MBA, I had an engineering degree. I could, I basically was doing product development and business development consulting like 10 to 20 hours a week. And that was paying me enough to kind of survive. And then, um, and then, uh, and then, you know, it took me like a year and a half or so to make, to start generating income in the sport. And, um, that in and of itself is I think also, um, uniquely quick, you know, like I was, I was really lucky and mostly really lucky because of wildflower, because it ended up Mm. not because I won wildflower, but because of the, the kind of like the circus around me winning wildflower in the way that I did created an interesting story that then was like, rose my profile, I think higher than it would have been had i just won some other half iron man somewhere you know right so, i yeah. mean you've
0: also always been very like open with fans like you used to write those like race stories yeah. and now you and now you have like a podcast with lauren yeah and i think thanks. you even talked about your vasectomy on the podcast
2: i did yeah like, it's a great episode i'm sure everyone <laughs> wants to, <listen> to it. <laughs> talk about aging right i mean yeah but that's uh yeah we're you know hey if i'm i'm just on to the next things that 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 i'm experiencing talking about them <laughs> so whatever follows. But did you ever
0: did you ever feel like you were being too like why would did you want to be so open and so like for whatever reason it seemed to really connect with fans you had a lot of fans it seemed like they really appreciated that did you ever feel like it was too much um
2: i think i always oh yeah i mean there were times when it definitely felt like too much i think the reason that i did it was i've always been a storyteller, my, my dad and my, my dad's brothers, I mean, we just grew up like listening to them tell stories. (laughs) And then I started telling stories, kind of mimicking him as I was, you know, became an adult. And, um, I had never really written much, you know, like, I'd never, I, I was an engineer. I literally, you know, the like words are like foreign, you you know, I live in Excel. And so, um, (laughs) but, uh, I started writing, I think kind of as a way to chronicle mostly for myself, like the story of what I was going through as an athlete. And, um, and then people started reading it and they liked it. And then when you get positive feedback on, the writing, then you, you know, you want to do more. And right. that, and that's just, that, that was meant, that was really fun. That was actually the coolest part of the whole thing, like the winning races or whatever, like all that type of stuff, by far the coolest part of the whole thing was interacting with people through the storytelling, you know, that was, yeah. that was really fun. And, and really the reason that that became what it did was because of triathlete magazine, you know,
0: well, it you had really a column lucky. for us. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. For one. yeah. Mm-hmm
2: fifty I think fifty months in a row, I wrote that thing, which is absolutely bananas to think about now <laughs> that I did that, but yeah that was that was really fun it forced it I would not have written that prolific or prolifically had um I not had some reason like that you know to do it, and it just ended up being a really good way for me to find my voice and develop it <laughs> and being forced yeah. to write more and more and more, you know
0: yeah i mean i think you ended up having a lot of fans it's funny because you're because lauren your wife also has a lot of fans and is very popular in her sport do you guys have like overlapping fans is it ever like yeah i think mostly
2: most of my fans are just fans of lauren that follow me because i'm (laughs) lauren's husband
0: (laughs) okay okay so she's the bigger deal oh yeah
2: for sure for sure there's there's very few like oh i started following lauren because she is jesse's wife or i I discovered lauren through jesse like it's it's quite the opposite.
0: Okay. It's yeah. pretty funny. Um, You guys are pretty, I mean, you've also talked a lot about like, you were both very high level athletes. And you've also talked a lot about kind of like your relationship and building that together over the years, which I always find really interesting when two people are kind of at the both, you know, competing at a very high level, very focused on their training and trying to get all the other things working in life. Um, yeah. It can be hard.
2: Yeah, it can. I mean, and that's why we started the podcast is because we get all these questions about how do we do that? And, uh, I think that it's pretty rare that you have two people that are simultaneously pursuing world-class athletics and, and be, and then simultaneously trying to be this primary support person for each other. right? Right. Most most athletes, um, you know, have a primary kind of, you could, you know, primary like pursuer and then primary supporter. Um, and that, and there's a reason that that exists because it works really, really well. Um, but there are, you know, there are some other examples. I mean, Tim and Rennie are great, great example. Right, I, was gonna say, I talked to yeah.
0: Tim a couple of weeks ago totally. about, yeah.
2: And it's, yeah. and it's, you know, so it exists, but it's really hard. It's a really different dynamic, you know? And there's a lot of like give and take because we're both kind of used to being the alpha, you know, and like I'm pursuing my thing and I'm going to try to go, I'm going to world championships and it's really important. Well, I'm going to world championships is really important too, you know? And so like, (laughs) where do you draw the line, you know? And, um, I think we learned a lot about just, um, navigating and we continue to learn navigating relationships in general because of that dynamic, because of the extra stress that, that being in those situations has put on our relationship, and that's created, I think, you know, if anything, good fodder for our podcast, and and oh, maybe good. that's
0: really what it's all about. Maybe yeah. some
2: experience, <laughs> you know, to rely on to help answer people's questions. So,
0: right, right. it's really about good fodder for the podcast. It's, it's really mo- why mostly is, yeah. 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 I think
2: okay. I think most people listen just to, you know, they listen for advice, but I think part of it is to hear us complain about ourselves probably too because there's something cathartic in that <laughs> hearing other people right. com- complain about their own lives or their, or their own relationship problems you know so <laughs> it certainly helps you've us also... it's part of the reason we like the podcast is we can kind of focus on other people's complain. problems for okay. a little bit <laughs> So
0: you've also talked a lot about i mean just over the years kind of in your columns you were for us on the po- what up on the podcast whatever about you know the idea of being pretty good at lots of things. Like you guys do a lot of different stuff, both of you, instead of being really good at one thing, did you ever think like, if you didn't have, you know, the business and like all this other stuff going on, you could have been better at triathlon. Was that ever like a, a weight, a a balance? Yeah. Yeah,
2: definitely. I think I, I think there are times when I definitely would have been better at triathlon and maybe there are times when I might've been worse. And, and that's the way that, (laughs) that's the way that I look at it. It's, um, There are, there were times, no doubt that having the business was at massive odds with being a professional triathlete, like crazy amounts of stress, travel, crazy financial stress, um, you know, employee problems, you know, managing all all that type of stuff. Um, Yeah. Cut customer expectations. You know, I mean, like if you have, if you discover that something is wrong with your packaging and you have, you know, like there's nothing worse than having to email, like a few thousand people, like, oops, we (laughs) fucked up and, and we're going to try to make it better. Just give us some time. You know, like that's like the worst thing. So there are lots of things like that, that added that for sure impact negatively impacted my ability to train and to rest and and recover and everything else. Um, but then there were also times that having the business was like a much-needed break from training, like both right. physically and also mentally. I think it it kept me, although I never, I certainly did overtrain at times in my career. I think it kept me from chronically overtraining um, because I just didn't, I didn't, there was no way I was going to do a 40 hour training week. Like I could, there was no way I was going to Ben Hoffman or Jan Frodeno my way into Kona. Like I just, I had to be at the office. Like I had other responsibilities that I couldn't just completely bug out on, you know? And so I couldn't keep my life like just unilaterally focused on triathlon pretty much ever during my career. And I think that that ended up being good for me in a, in a lot of ways. Like I said, avoided overtraining. I found more kind of like joy in the sport as a counterbalance to business and then more joy in business as a counterbalance the sport. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a real mix. I wouldn't have had it any other way. And and now, <laughs> now that I'm kind of, you know, more or less done it's um, it's really nice to have something that I can sink my teeth into as passionately as I did racing, which I think is is very rare as well for pro athletes. You know, there tends right. to be this like big coming down of you're like, man, you know, the last like five, ten, fifteen, whatever years, I was like had this huge goal every year, every whatever, and it was like very public and it was very. You know, like it, it, I was very passionate about it and it mattered to me and it mattered to everybody else. And you get all this like amazing kind of feedback from that on how like, quote unquote, important your life is and your pursuits. And it, I think it can be really hard for athletes when they switch out of that into like mm. more normal life and work and stuff Into like more that. normal life. Yeah. Right. Okay. You know, yeah. and I'm lucky in that we've got picky bars and I'm just as passionate about picky bars as I was my triathlon career and, and in a lot, in a lot of ways, I think more so because it can actually, the success of picky bars can definitely have a better, a, a greater positive impact than any success I had in triathlon on my family, on my community, you know, the people, the people that I care about. So, um, so it's pretty cool to have that.
0: So, so you feel good about it? Yeah,
2: totally. Yeah, I do. That's
0: good. Well, that's yeah. good. You know, we want you to feel good about no, about yeah. your whole career. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So, if you were gonna, um, now you know, now that we've like officially announced you retired, if you <laughs> yeah. were looking back, what were your, what would you say was like your best, favorite moment, and like your worst one?
2: Um. Okay, I'll just go with the two that popped into my head. I mean, winning okay. that. Winning the first wild, there's a few, there's the, the best one is tough. I can't name just one. Okay. Wildflower. The first wildflower was huge. The second wildflower was also huge because I was like really doubting myself going into that race that I was, because just kind of like, it was a fluke that I won the first one. Right. And, and there was a lot of pressure there. I was on the cover of triathlete magazine, you know, and it was just like, oh my God, what has happened? You know? And that one was amazing. Um, but, you know, I mean, I joke, you know, I joke about this a a little bit with him, but beating Jan Ferdano at Ironman Lanzarote is something like I'll for sure never forget the, in fact, the moment, if you ask about a moment, the moment of passing him on the run is a moment (laughs) I'll never forget and he was,
0: you're like, you're like putting that down in history as okay. super
2: classy. I mean, you
0: know, he was coming off of like
2: a four month break. I don't even, it was like a training race for him, you know, but, um, <laughs> but as I get older, I will, you know, change that and say that he was in the best shape of his life. And, you know, right. I beat him at an iron man and, and, um, you know, but that was an amazing moment too. Um, worst moment, uh, getting the, um, getting a slotting penalty at the Ironman world championships in 20, that half Ironman world championships in 2015. Um, uh. because I was in no doubt the best shape of my life, um, or best, best half Ironman shape of my life. And I think I was like, I was a top, um, five guy that, that day, you know, and that was, that was a bummer. That would have been my best performance ever at a world champion. I came off the bike in fifth and, um, and then had to sit there for four minutes and watch everybody everybody pass me. Yeah. So that was, that was definitely my biggest down moment for sure. But then it was two weeks later that I just ran, you know, I jumped in an Ironman and, and that started my whole Ironman thing.
0: So it's kind of crazy oh, yeah. how it worked You just out. did Wales, like did, on a I wind. was literally
2: over there and we were like we, – I had signed up as kind of like a backup, you know, like a couple weeks before. Right. And Matt was just like, just go do it. We'll just do it on half Ironman training and just see how it goes. And, um, you know, that started my whole Ironman thing. So it was nuts.
0: Mm-hmm. You're like in things that we like don't recommend people do. Yeah.
2: Well, and right. had I gotten fifth <laughs> at the half Ironman World Championships, I would not have done whales. Like there's, yeah. there's no, no doubt. Like I would have been like, why would the hell would I do whales? You know, <laughs> go will do, I just got fifth at the half Ironman world championships. Go do whatever I want. But anyway.
0: <laughs> okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And, but you also, I mean, even though you're not really doing triathlon, you're still doing like lots of random stuff. I know yeah. you're like mountain so, biking now, kayaking.
2: Yeah. Well, part oh, of that is because I haven't been able to do the things I want to do. So, I mean, <laughs> that, I guess that's part of the reason why I haven't like officially announced a retirement yet is because I still feel like I'm, still in the process of competing and like getting my body back, but um, just have had some pretty rough luck, you know, for the last mm-hmm. like year or so I was going to do a marathon. because right. I thought I had an outside chance at actually qualifying for the Olympic marathon trials. Um, mm-hmm. And then, but then the injury that I got there, I broke my navicular and that's, I've done it before, unfortunately, and it takes a year to recover from. And that year it has just now gone by. So I've been doing some biking and a little bit of running here and there but I've also have these other um this other injury that actually happened in 2018 in the lead up to Roth that um has hung around and hung around and like every time I kind of feel like it's gone it's kind of back and that's that's kind of what I'm dealing with like right now in this moment not being really being able to be as active as I want to be.
0: Okay. Yeah. So cuz cuz I was like I know you were still doing like you had like kayaking videos on your Instagram you were yeah. doing like the pole paddle pedal pole paddle which is paddle. like big yeah I was yeah. doing a
2: pole pedal paddle, paddle I was doing a lot of nordic skiing which was great a lot of mountain right. like last summer when I couldn't run and I did, and so I I wasn't going to do any triathlon I basically made um like mountain biking KOMs more or less my like racing. <laughs> oh,
0: you're like, <laughs> like I, goal. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because
2: it's like, I never got a mountain bike before really when I was just riding a TT bike because it's dangerous and yada, yada, yada. And, and so the mountain biking was really fun because it was like, I still had enough power that I could push the bike fast. But it, a lot of it was just me getting like more skilled so I could actually move through the trail faster on the bike, you know? And so that's been, that's been really fun. That's been the most recent thing. And there's enough, you know, there's enough I mean, I'm in Bend, Oregon. There's a lot of right. talent around here that, you know, if you get a KOM in in and around the trails in Bend, it's you feel pretty dang good about that. You know? <laughs> so it's there's a there's a lot of competition. So that's been kind of fun too. And yeah, it's finding some other stuff. But really what I'd like to do eventually is I'd like to get back to running some more. I'd like to do some trail racing. Um, okay. and then I'd and then do some other fun multi sport races like the pole pedal paddle. There's some other races that are like that. Um, around the country that combine um, biking and running with like skiing and kayaking or other kind of like outdoor activities that I really enjoy. I'd like to do some of those too.
0: Are there others? Okay. Cause I guess we should explain the pull paddle, pedal is like yeah. this race and bend where you like downhill ski, cross country ski, k- bike, kayak, and run, I think, right? Yeah, that's exactly I know it. my husband is like really excited about this. He like wants to come and do
2: it. <laughs> it's an amazing it's an amazing race. And you do all of that, like for the elites, it's like an hour 45. So it's a really like, I mean, it's shorter than like an Olympic distance triathlon. Right. And you do, you essentially do six really events. Um, cause you run twice and, um, kind of a main run and then like a sprint. So yeah, it's, a, it's like, you're never doing anything for more than, I think the bike is the longest it's maybe half an hour and everything else is like 15 to 25 minutes. So it's, it's, um, really fun, but there are some other races that are, um, that are like that, um, that exist. Um, what's the one that I always forget the name of it. I'm not going to remember it. Um, there's like, there's one yeah, yeah, there's a one in, uh, Tuckerman Inferno is one that I've found Mm -hmm. on the East coast. There's one called, um, the, uh, in Albuquerque or around Albuquerque area. It's the Mount Taylor Quadrathlon. So they go, this one's kind of nuts. They go, they road bike up. So the whole thing is up and down a hill, up and down a a mountain. (laughs) Really. You go from like 6,000 to like 11,000 feet. So you road bike up to where it turns to dirt. Then you run like five miles or something like that. Then it turns to snow. Then you like, um, teleski basically like up. Then it turns the crazy snow you put on, um, you put on snowshoes and you snowshoe the last mile to the top and then you turn around and do everything backwards and it finishes at the bottom <laughs> So it's okay. up and back. So anyway, you know, shout out to those guys. I've never talked to them, but I want to, I just discovered that race looking for fun multi-sport races out there, you know? So we'll see.
0: So it sounds like you're like, it's like weird, random stuff. It's kind of what we should expect from you. If we were going to say like, what are your goals? What would you see from Jesse?
2: My goals, my goals are to make picky bars as successful as possible. That's, that's my, that's my number one goal right now, because like I said, it'll have the biggest impact on my family and more importantly, my community. Like it's based here in Bend. We employ 11 people. Now we have thousands and thousands of customers. And as we grow, that's just going to make hopefully more and more positive impact on our local economy and community and then also a really positive impact on our customers. So that's number one goal. And then number two goal is to be, well, number one goal is to be the best dad and husband I can be, you know. That's, good. that's so, probably yeah. good to have that as your number two. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Professionally number one uh, would be would be picky bars, but just really trying to spend more time with my family and my kids, you know, I don't regret anything that I did when I was a triathlete, but um But there, there's no doubt that I was not as present as I am now, you know, when I was racing full-time and training full-time. And that's been really nice, both for my son who went through the, his first four years when I wasn't present. And then also for my daughter, who's just now kind of, you know, just getting to enjoy me being me as she grows up. Um, so doing those two things and then athletically, I still want to like, it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. I still want to tell stories and I don't think that those stories need to be um, me going to Kona. You know, I think it could be a really interesting story to see what it's like for a 40 year old dad (laughs) business owner to go do the Mount Taylor quadrathlon and try this (laughs) fucking crazy race. And like what happens, you know, like, so I, I still am looking forward to doing those things. I still want to continue to do that. Um, It'll just be, in you know not so much of like a world class level i think it'll be a little bit more like normalish
0: normalish yeah. okay so that's what we should expect yeah, it's normal-ish normalish totally. okay. normalish but still i don't think normalish is any
2: less entertaining you know so okay. that that's kind of the hope we'll see all
0: right yeah so we've been finishing up with like some would you rather's the last couple okay. weeks and apparently my would you rather's got like way too depressing so we're gonna go back to like a fun one okay cool <laughs> all right so here's like this is one some a friend told me one time but we'll do it for you would you rather only be able to eat picky bars for the rest of your life or, yes. <laughs> or uh only be able because i know you've raced in dinosaur costumes only be able to wear a dinosaur costume for the rest of your life Oh man so definitely, you can eat whatever
2: you want definitely picky bars yeah for <laughs> sure i mean i you know I have eaten more picky bars than any human being on the planet and I still eat them. I I really like them. So. All right. So you'd go only that, no other food. And and I've spent a fair amount of time in the dinosaur costume and it's super uncomfortable. You would not (laughs) want to be in that thing. You'd much rather eat picky bars. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us and, uh, and yeah, it's been, I think it got very philosophical. Everyone thought Jesse was going to be a funny interview, but well, you know, been it's, funny, uh, you know, it's,
2: you know, I'm aging, so I'm just re- really <laughs> reflective right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Like I, um, I owe a lot to triathlete magazine, you know, and all you guys for everything for my career. So I really appreciate it.
0: One quick note. That post Jesse said he had written about his retirement and then never published? After we finished recording, he agreed to send it over for one last installment of his Triathlete Magazine column. We'll have that up and a look back at some of his other fun old columns for us if you head over to the Triathlete website. Thanks to Jesse for talking, to EK and the rest of our Triathlete staff. Thanks to all of you for listening, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, keep training.